Revelation chapter 11, we have come as far as verse 13, where it says, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted, and they gave glory to God of heaven. And the second woe is past, behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God upon their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come. The time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. So, we have this remarkable picture put before us. It's interesting. Bible scholars say this is the greatest picture of victory, perhaps in all of the Bible, certainly in all our journey through Revelation, except perhaps a few verses in chapter 19. Uh, this is seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything is brought into context of him and his kingdom at this point in time. <clears throat> Look, we've been studying through... And, um, you know, the seven seals. When the seventh seal is opened, it differs from this. This says when the seven trumpet sounds, there are great voices in heaven. This whole thing breaks forth and it's noisy. It's, it's riotous. It's praising and acknowledging God. When the seventh seal is broken, there's silence in heaven for the space, it says, of about a half an hour. Because in that seventh seal are the seven trumpets, which are judgments that we can hardly imagine that will come on the earth. And the last three of those trumpets are called three great woes in the end of chapter 10. We've seen the first woe when the pit is opened and these creatures come out of the pit um, that look like locusts but have men's faces, women's hair, tails like scorpions, so forth. And they're allowed to torment humanity for five months. And then we see again uh, coming these angels loose by the river Euphrates and then we see 200 million, not humans, of these spiritual demonic horses with riders on them and they go forth and it says there again a fourth of mankind is slain which 
takes us down to half the world's population. And remarkably, at the end of that, it says, but men didn't repent in regards to their idolatry. And men didn't repent in regards to the murder, their sorcery, uh, their sexual sin, and so forth. Unthinkable. Now we come to the seventh trumpet, and when it's ready to sound, it's not silent. There's great noise. God had placed outside of Jerusalem two prophets. My conviction, Moses and Elijah. You can think Enoch and Elijah. I'm happy either way. And they had tormented, it says, the earth for 1,260 days, three and a half years, which has to, it, it, it mandates the first half when you look at the conditions. After those three and a half years, their ministry's done, it says, and then the Antichrist overcomes them and kills them, and their bodies lay in the street of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And the whole world celebrates. It says men send gifts to each other as they're celebrating. The eyes of all the cameras are on them. It says the whole world is watching. Speaks of telecommunication in one form or another. People have come standing around. And after three and a half days, it says the spirit of life from God comes into them. And they stand upon their feet. And there's great fear. And then a voice from heaven says, come up hither, and they ascend up to heaven. And it says, their enemies beheld this. And it tells us at that time, if you look in verse 13, at the same hour, the idea is that they're ascending, was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell in the earthquake, There were slain of men, interesting, the Greek says there were slain the names of men 7,000. The idea is God knew each individual one. And the remnant were terrified or frightened. They gave glory to the God of heaven. So in the same hour, you know, people are amazed. Their mouths are hanging open. Here goes these two prophets ascending, obeying this voice, come up hither. People are completely freaked out. People all around the world watching on TV because they had tormented the whole earth. And it says, all of a sudden in the middle of this is a great earthquake and a tenth part of the city falls. Now, realize for John how strange this is because Titus Vespasian, you know, 20-some years before this, had leveled Jerusalem. There is no Jerusalem per se, at this point in time, and it will become worse after the Bar Kokhba revolt and so forth. But, you know, John's looking at this, and he sees a rebuilt city. He, he sees a rebuilt city, and he tells us that in a great earthquake, as people are watching these two ascend, a tenth part of the city goes down, and it tells us of men, 7,000 were killed. Now, the way the language comes to us, it's exacting. It's very important. It's, it's telling us of God's sovereignty here because it doesn't say 10.5% of the city fell. It doesn't say 9.5%. It says one-tenth exactly of the city falls. And 7,000 men by name. God knows every single one of them. Not 7,001. Please take notice of that. It's not 6,999. It's 7,000 men that are named die. And it says, and the rest, the remnant, then are affrightened and they give glory 
to God. Who are the 7,000 that die? We don't know. Maybe part of the army of the beast that killed the two prophets. We don't know. Um, the interesting part is these now that give glory to God. There are contrasts because, again, as we ended chapter 9, it said, And the rest of men, this is after half the world's population is gone, which were not killed by these plagues, repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, demons, idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, Neither repented they of their murders, their sorceries, nor their fornication, sexual sin, nor of their thefts. But in this scene, in great con- you know, contrast, we have this group of people give glory to God. And that's used three other times in the book of Revelation. We find that four times. And in the other places, it's speaking about those who are repentant and they're worshiping him. So it seems interesting before this seventh trumpet, which ends everything. There's nothing but wrath left at this point in time. Before that takes place, it's almost like the Lord offers us one more vision of his grace. He didn't destroy all of Jerusalem. He didn't kill everyone. It was exactly a tenth. It was exactly 7,000. And the remnant fall to their knees and give glory to the God of heaven. And I believe, again, he gathers some in at that point in time. Very interesting picture here as we look at it. It says the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet. Don't get confused. The first woe is the fifth trumpet. The second woe is the sixth trumpet. The third woe now will be the seventh trumpet. He says the second woe is past. And behold, think of this, consider this. The third woe cometh, King James says quickly, the, the idea is soon. Uh, other places, when it uses this idea, when it says entaxi, it has the idea of once it begins, it comes to a quick conclusion. This word specifically has the idea, though, of soonness, what the others don't. Behold, the third woe cometh, present tense, is already on its way, and it's coming soon. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. So now this seventh trumpet sounds at this point in time. Look, um, this is not the last trump. We read about that in regards to the church. This seventh trumpet is never called anywhere the last Trump. This is the last woe. When you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told to comfort one another with these words. The idea that Christ is coming with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Here, this is a woe. This ain't no comfort here at all. Here, this is the, this is the trumpet of an angel. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that it's the trumpet of God and in First Thessalonians. Those are different. Chapter, chapter 8 tells us in the days of the voice of the seventh trumpet. So this is not an atomos change in an instant, a twinkling of an eye. This is something that rumbles on for years, this seventh trumpet. 
So it's distinct from the trumpets we hear of that catch the church away to be with the Lord at the rapture. This is a different trumpet which is sounding unimaginable grief coming on the world. There will be another trumpet at the end of the great tribulation. And it says that that trumpet, the angels go forth and gather the elect from the four winds. There are a series of different trumpets, but this is not that one. Don't confuse those two as we look at this. It says that the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, we're in heaven hearing this, the kingdoms, now King James is plural, a lot of people argue that it's singular. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Messiah, his anointed and he shall reign forever and ever. This now takes us into a scene where it says, I'm looking down and I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm looking past this great chasm of these seven vials of God's wrath that are going to be poured out. I'm seeing down to the end of the age where our God has his anointed, his Christ, take up the throne forever and forever. And the kingdoms of this world finally become the kingdoms of Jesus Christ. Look, that's important for us to see today because what it's telling us here as we read through these things is that behind the scenes, God is sovereign. I mean, we're looking at the world today, so what do we do, Lord? I'm so tired of this COVID thing. I'm so masked out. What's going to happen? Is there going to be another wave? You know, we've been trying to keep my mom and my dad safe or somebody with comorbidities. Lord, I'm wearied. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the market? What's going to happen to our health? Where is this going to go? Lord, what's going to happen with politics? Or Lord, why does my son or my daughter, why do they have this terrible disease? Or why is my heart crushed? I've been betrayed again. I can't take this anymore. Lord, I'm sitting alone with you and I... I'm still faced every day with my imperfection, and I just feel like, Lord, sometimes I'm wearied by myself. He says, no, no, understand, behind the scenes is what's driving everything, and all of the earthly things we put our eyes on through the media and the news and all that, that is all controlled by the throne of a sovereign God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. That is what really is happening. You know, I've tried not to become a conspiratist. This last year has worn heavy on me in that direction. (laughs) But here's the good news. There's a larger conspiracy. And you and I are part of that one. Because it says when the Antichrist comes, which is the ultimate human conspiracy. Look, Satan's been trying to do this, what we see here. From the beginning of human history, stole Adam and Eve. He, after the flood, he comes to the, the Tower of Babel. He initiates it. Everybody's speaking the, the same language. He, he's a globalist. He's trying to get everybody on the same page. As we follow the process, look, we look at the world now. The globalists, there are globalists, I'm sure, that are sincere. They think, if we don't get everybody on the same page, we're going to incinerate ourselves in a nuclear holocaust. There are some with good, good intentions. But wherever there's that much control, there's tyrants too. You and I know that. So behind the scenes, there is a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiratist, but look. But there's a greater conspiracy because all the conspirators are going to get conspirated. 
Isn't that wonderful? Because it says multitudes, nations, kindreds, and tongues are going to marvel after the beast and receive his mark, whose names are not written in the land books of life. That, that's terrible. It's fearful. But everybody who thinks they got their hands on the steering wheel now is going to let go when the beast shows up. Okay? So, look, there is a conspiracy. But let me say this, please. Again, because I hear these kooky people saying this. The, the, the COVID vaccination is not the mark of the beast. Okay, we on the same page there? You know, there are kooky guys in the church saying if you get the vaccination, it changes your DNA. And once it changes your DNA, you're not human anymore. And because Christ is a kinsman redeemer, and he only came to save humans, if you get the vaccination, you can't be saved. Cut me a break. You know, the, the problem with this whole thing is, you know, on one side you have people, I understand some, but they're kooky. Right? On the other side you have naive. Because we can't believe everything and we don't know what to believe. Right? We're to think, we're to use our heads. But where's the information? It floats all over now. You're trying to think, what can I believe, what I can't believe? All that's going to go. Everything that frustrates us is going to go. It's all going to be gone because the God of heaven is going to come and he's going to hand everything to his anointed, his Christ, and he's going to reign forever and forever. And that's everything that's going on behind the scenes right now. So look, we live in this world. We're looking around. We're discouraged. We see injustices. We see illness. We see all of these things. But understand, this ain't the end. This is the journey. I don't know how bad it's going to get here. You know, our brethren in China are used to meeting in secret, being drug out of their homes and paying a price for being a Christian. In Iran, where you have one of the fastest growing churches in the world, it may cost them their life. They may be imprisoned and persecuted. That goes on in so many different places. But here we are in America. And we have to quarantine for two weeks and we're going, Oh, Lord, this is the end. It's the worst it's ever been. Look. You know, we're headed into another era. I don't see in the Bible, this. it doesn't say things are going to get better and better. They're going to wax worse and worse. Please listen to me, it's already begun. And we're thinking, oh, it's going to get to this point, it's going to get to that point, it's going to get to... No, no, it is already at that point. The world that surrounds us is not passive, it is aggressive today. And it hates you and I, it hates what we believe, it hates what we stand for, it hates our God, it hates His Word, it hates the Holy Spirit. Even if it can't say that. And the church, so much of the church, is passive. Well, you're going to get through this or get through that. No, no, no. That ain't going to happen. This is what we're looking for. This is the answer to our problems. This is where we belong. This is where we fit in. This is where everything's going to be right. When, when Christ comes and his Father gives him the kingdom and he reigns forever and ever. That's what we long for in our hearts. That's where there's no sickness. That's where there's justice. That's where everything's made right. It ain't going to happen here. 
So I know this is a really depressing time. You wish I had stayed home. I was already depressed enough, you know. The news bothers me. Now i got to go listen to this guy on top of the news. <laughs> listen, verse 16, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats, and I think we've met them eight times so far in the book of Revelation, it says they fell upon their faces. First time it tells us that. We have them falling down. We have them casting crowns. We have them worshiping. The first time it says they fall on their faces is right here. And they worshiped God saying, and we're going to be in this scene, okay? So you can learn the words to this song. Don't stand around heaven going, duh, I went to Calvary Chapel, okay? <laughs> saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Interesting, El Shaddai in the Old Testament. Lord God Almighty, he revealed himself that way to Abraham and Isaac and so forth. Nine times in the book of Revelation we have him called the Lord Jehovah God Almighty. Only one other time in the rest of the New Testament, Second Corinthians 6.18, we hear of the Lord God Almighty. The book of Revelation, we hear of him all the way through nine times. And the interesting thing is it says he's taken his great power. It isn't exousia, which is used in other places, his royal right. This is the dunamis. And the idea is this royal power, this great power, is exercised in regards to judgment. It's demonstrated. His authority is what he does all of that in, but this is his great power. And it says they're rejoicing because he has taken to him his great power and has reigned. Eridus is called proleptic. It's when you write about something that's future as though it's past. The interesting thing it says he has taken, that's a perfect tense. And it means he has taken and still possesses his great power. Once he takes it in the perfect tense, it is his, and it never changes. It continues. And heaven is rejoicing, saying he has taken to himself his great dunamis. There's no great power besides this great power. He's taken it to himself and has reigned. As we come to verse 18, then it tells us in regards to that four distinct things... And look, it says this, it says, number one, and all of them begin with an and, and the nations were angry, number one, and thy wrath is come, number two, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that shouldest give them reward unto thy servants, the prophets, the saints, and them that fear thy name, both small and great, that's number three, and number four, that you should destroy them that destroy the earth. What an interesting picture. It tells us here that the kingdom is his. It's what's being proclaimed. And what it tells us is in regards to that, that the nations are angry. Literally, they raged. The nations raged. You know this, the world we live in today. 
doesn't want to hear about morality. It doesn't want to hear about creation. It doesn't want to hear about sin. It doesn't want to hear about repentance. It doesn't want to hear about a king that's coming. No, no. no. The, the world, is, you know, they want something completely different. Whatever their conception is of freedom, all you have to do is watch the no, news to realize it's bondage. It's not freedom. God wants us to be free. Not free to kill, free to murder, free to be immoral. Free. You have to know what to do with freedom. It's yours. And the freedom we have is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says here, but the nations of the world raged. They were angry. They didn't want anything to do with this God that's being promoted and these two prophets that ascended and so forth. It tells us this in the book of Psalms. It says this, Psalm 2 goes along with this passage, by the way. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. This is what we're just reading about, his Messiah. Saying, let us break their bands asunder let us cast away their cords from us. That's their raging. Let's take away every restriction, every rule, everything this God tries to enforce on us. Let's break it off and let's be done with it. Let's get rid of it. And it says, but he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. He will vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet, he says, have I set my king upon my holy hill, Zion. I will declare the decree of the, Lo the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that have put their trust in him. Isn't that wonderful? Psalm 2 describes our study in Revelation chapter 11 this morning. So the first thing it tells us now in response to his king, him taking the power and so forth, there's, there's, a, there's an you know, animus in the world that is measurable and is measured in rage. The nations were angry, number one. Number two, he says, and thy wrath is come. You think they're raging and they're angry matters at all in light of his wrath? This is the Lord God Almighty who's setting up his kingdom. And they're raging? It's like a baby with a poopy diaper crying. It means nothing. It doesn't measure at all against the Lord God Almighty now who's going to demonstrate his wrath. Look, we need to remember that. The people around us that you know are lost and they're without hope and they're in darkness... It's our responsibility, as long as we're here, to try to save them, to share the gospel with them. Because what's ahead is unimaginable. You and I, as the bride of Christ, you know, we'll be on the mezzanine. We'll be watching from above. But here it says, the nations rage against God. Look, that's going on around us now. Wake up. 
But the Lord, in contrast, thy wrath is come. And then thirdly, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great. So the time of judgment has come also. What are we looking at here? What does this talk about? Some people want to go immediately to Revelation chapter 20 and the judgment at the great white throne. The final judgment there. But there's no saints there. There's no prophets there. And there's no rewards there. Only the wicked are there. There's no rewards. Some want to place this like Matthew 25, but that's the judgment of the nations. And it's sheep and goats gathered in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he tells the, the sheep to be on his right hand and the goats to, to pass into everlasting judgment. And those are human beings going in to repopulate the, the earth during the millennium. This is those who have been martyred from ages. This is the saints and the prophets, and those who love thee, your slaves, those that served you. You know, it says, them that fear thy name, great and small. This has to be a picture of all of the Old Testament saints that have died, that were martyred or died in faith. It has to be a picture of those who were martyred during a, the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, where they're saying they're under the altar. How long, O God, before you avenge us and those who dwell on the earth, they're told to rest for a while. You know, this is a picture of those that will resurrect and go into the kingdom age, and they will receive their rewards. And remarkably here, you know, you and I have received our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the judgment seat of Christ. And when they receive their rewards, they go into the kingdom. Look, here's the beautiful thing as I look at this. It says both small and great. And the, the, the idea is in the language, those who are unrecognized and those who are esteemed by men. Yeah, of course, there's the Billy Grahams. You know, there's, there's those, the, the Whitfields. There's the Isaiahs and the Ezekiels. There's those through the centuries, the great. They, the, they had notoriety. They did great things for God. But there's also the little girl who was stolen from Israel, who lived in Naaman the Syrian's house, and she was a servant. And when Naaman the Syrian got leprosy, she said to her mistress, please tell Naaman there's a prophet in Israel. He serves the living God, and he can deal with this leprosy. And Naaman, of course, goes to Elisha, and he's healed and the course of history has changed because then Syria, at that point, has mercy on Israel. And what brought that about is a little girl, orphaned, stolen, small and great. The great revival in Wales that began in Seth Joshua's church that Evan Roberts carried forward and so forth, it started on a Sunday night at a youth meeting. Sunday nights, youth went to church. They had no iPhones, no televisions, out of boredom, they went to church. <laughs> and at a youth meeting on a Sunday night, Seth Joshua asked these teenagers, what does Jesus mean to you? 
And the young man, young boy, said, well, Jesus is the light of the world. He said, I didn't ask you what he was. He said, I asked you, what does he mean to you? And a 16-year-old girl who had been saved for two weeks, she said, all I know, all I know is that I love Jesus with all of my heart. And people began to weep. And the revival in Wales began at the mouth of a 16-year-old girl who was saved for two weeks. Began to spread through Wales. And Jesse Penn Lewis wrote in the London Times, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand that has arisen in Wales. The rain is coming. There's the small and the great. Look, God recognizes every single thing. There is no small thing to him. His servants, his children, what they do, you never know the ramifications of standing up for him in a moment that he calls you to. The wonderful thing of this picture is they're rewarded, they're gathered, you know, the prophets, the saints, those who love his name, small and great, small and great. We have got to believe that in the days we're living in. There is no small thing if you do it for Jesus. There may be multitudes, but if you give your two loaves and, and fishes, five loaves and two fishes, he says, give them to me, and multitudes are fed. Right? There is no small thing that we do for Jesus or, or give into his hands. Maybe without notoriety, without being recognized like some of the greater recognized, but the idea is when rewards come, he gives them on a completely different basis. And they're coming. And lastly, it says this. And it says, the fourth thing it tells us in verse 18 is, and that he should destroy them which destroyed the earth. So if you're a, a green person, that sounds good to you, I guess. That's not what it's talking about. It says, he, the Greek says, he will be corrupting those who have corrupted the earth. There is a corruption physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's why we leave the world in suicide. There's a corruption of our culture and of our nation. It's the same word that's used when it talks about a moth eating into a garment or rust eating into metal. There's a corruption taking place right now. It moves slow in some cases. We don't realize it until something is threadbare and worn thin. But there is a corruption. There is principalities and powers behind that. It is working all around us in the world today. But know this. The corruptors are going to get corrupted. He's going to be corrupting those who are corrupting. He's going to take care of that. He's going to make sure that they're dealt with. You don't have to worry about it, okay? The King of Kings, the Lord God Almighty, has got his hand on the steering wheel. And we can be like the little kid next to him with the plastic steering wheel, a little horn in the middle, and just let him control the ship. He knows where he's going. 
That's, look, that's the king we're looking for, right? It, it isn't Netanyahu, God bless him. It isn't Putin. It wasn't Trump. Not Biden. When is the right person going to show up that straightens everything out? This is how you'll know the right king when he shows up. I've written a few things down. We'll look at it more in chapter 20. When the right king comes, there'll be no war, no elections, no nuclear weapons, no terrorism, no divorce, no abortions, no pornography, no police, no weapons, no revolutions, no missiles, no courts, no bribes, no kidnapping. Kidnapping, no custody battles, no orphanages, no foster care, no rest homes, no hospitals, no mental institutions, no psychologists, no dentists, uh, no surgeons, no prisons, no crack houses, no bars, no casinos, no discrimination, no environmentalists, no quakes, no twisters, no hurricanes, no unemployment, no hunger, no famine. No secular schools, no astrologers, no psychic hotlines, no pastors. I'll have to find a new job then. But that's how you'll know when the right king is here, okay? You don't have to look for him in all these other places. You're only going to get disappointed as you look in all of those other places. Pray for those that are in leadership. Paul told us that when Nero was on the throne. We should pray for our government. We should pray for those in power. But that ain't who we're looking for. Anybody confused? Raise your hands if you're confused. That's amazing. You don't read ahead and you're not confused. (laughs) Chapter 19 says, In light of all this, John sees the temple in heaven open. It's interesting. If you go through the book of Revelation, see the things that are opened. There are doors open. There are different things open. He now sees the temple open open up until this point it's been the throne has been the source or the center of all the activity which has been judgmental in many ways now and and it's been done in righteousness from this point forward in the book of revelation the 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 temple is the center of everything and there is activity and judgment but it's all in the context of holiness and he says in the center of that temple is the ark of his testament. You know, know, Indiana Jones does not have the ark. It's stored away in some warehouse somewhere. Okay? Uh, We don't know what happened to it. We see it in the the, the Moses and the tabernacle. Uh, We see it in Solomon's temple. Evidently, Somewhere around the Babylonian invasion, it disappears. Some people say it's in Mount Pisgah that Jeremiah buried it there. Some say it's in Oxum. The Ethiopians may not believe that, that it happens to be in Oxum, Ethiopia. Some believe that it's buried in the basement of the Vatican. Some believe that it's hidden under the Temple Mount today. It's gone. The important thing is the, the, the ark that it was modeled after ain't moved at all. It's where it's supposed to be. He told Moses, when you make these things, see that you make them after the pattern of things you saw in heaven. So Moses made that ark with the cherubim over it, and it was the place where blood was poured out. It was very significant in the Old Testament because 
the Old Testament was based on the law. And once a year, the high priest went in and poured out blood there for the sins of the nation. Doesn't it say, it says, this is the ark of literally his testament, which is the New Testament. All of that, with the pouring out of blood on the Day of Atonement, was all looking forward to Christ and the one that would come. There is some ark in a temple in heaven that is the signature of his covenant. Aren't you glad today that our lives are determined and dependent upon a covenant that our loving Savior has made with us in his own blood? Take a deep breath. Relax. De-stressify. There's a covenant, and it's still in place. And he says there were voices, thunderings, an earthquake, great hail. We always have this kind of signature at different points in the book. My encouragement, you know, you read through this on your own. And remember, the Lord said, blessed are those who read. Blessed are those who hear and blessed are those who keep the things that are written in this book. It's the only promise like that in all the books of the Bible. It's at the beginning of Revelation. Because we need to remember as we look around today at the world that we live in, that everything happening is being governed by a sovereign God in heaven who is the Lord God Almighty. And that the kingdom is already on its way and that will be the kingdom of his anointed, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that he's going to reign forever and ever. We need to remember that all the conspirators are going to get conspirated. I, I remember that a little bit in a sick way, but there has to be a, a spiritual way I remember that. And that the nations might be angry. They're raging. That's true. It doesn't matter because his wrath is coming, which it doesn't even measure up to and all of those who took the heat of this world, prophets, saints, those who love his name, his servants, great and small, they're going to be rewarded. Nobody's going to miss out. Even the most insignificant things will be rewarded. And God in his processes is going to destroy those who corrupt the earth. There will be complete justice. You don't have to worry. How can he get away with that? How can he get away with it? He ain't getting away with it. They ain't getting away with it. Nobody gets away with it. Right? Calm down. They ain't getting away with it. And we'd rather see them get saved than go to hell forever. And there's a temple, and there's a covenant, this reality. And I'm looking forward. Looking forward to that. I really hope that it's soon. In fact, don't we all, right here today, don't we hope that we get rapture before third service? <laughs> you'll know more than they will when you get there. You'll know about the song. You'll know all kinds of things they still got to find out about, right? In the hour that you think not, it says, it could come at any time. We're all on the same page, right? Then let's stand and let's pray together. Look, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ... You can be here today thinking, this person's nuts, and everybody listening to him must be crazier than him. Really, what's your answer? What's your solution? The UN? The World Health Organization? 
What's your answer to the world's problem? You just think we're going to be here so long that in a thousand years we're all going to have a big head like an alien, little skinny arms because we're so smart and we figure out that ain't going to happen. Human beings are sinful. Human beings have never made weapons they haven't used, which is a nightmare. But Jesus Christ is returning. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He paid for our sins. He loves us. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And there are more Christians in the world today than Muslims, any other religion. No, he did that without radio. He did that without publication. He did that without media. He never traveled 200 miles from the house he was born in. And he has changed the world because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Do you know him? And if you don't know Jesus today, forget about church. Forget about denominations. If you don't know him, the risen one, and you can know him personally. If you don't know him... As we're singing this last song, or when the service is over, I encourage you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible. We don't want your cell number. We don't want your, we don't want your email. We ain't going to give you a box of offering envelopes, okay? We don't want nothing from you. We want everything for you, because that's our Lord. If you don't know him, you come. Listen, we're going to sing, you listen in your heart. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. That voice will speak to you. It's not in Russian, not in English, not in Spanish, not in French. It is a language of the heart that no human being anywhere on the planet can deny. No human being will ever be able to say, I didn't hear him speaking to me, because he don't speak in human language. And in your heart today, if you can say, you know what, I am, I'm empty. I don't know where I'm going to be when I die. I definitely need forgiveness. If this is true, if Jesus is really the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, if he's really risen, if he's really coming back, i got to get on the right side of all this because I am tired of trying to do it on my own and I am empty. You know that about yourself. And if that's you, as we worship, you come. At the end of the service, you come. We'd love to pray with you, give you some literature, give you a Bible. Lord, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you and all of us, Lord. You know, our hearts kind of leap, Lord, at some of these things. Uh, Lord, we, we get so distracted by the world around us. The horizontal so eats us up, Lord, that, that we fail to cultivate the vertical sometimes, Lord. But certainly in these days, we need our anchor to be anchored up and not anchored down. And, Lord, we know we're asking according to your will. So take these hearts with the stony places that may still be in them Lord soften us draw us after yourself and let that blessed hope stay before us Lord beyond all of this and let it flow forward from our hearts your love Lord we pray in your name Amen